0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Today I'll be reading from John 9 verses 1 to 3. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, The Well. It is so good to be with you today. As I said, my name is Mark, and uh, some of us have met and some of us have never met. Um, But my connection with you goes back to before you changed your name to Upper Room Community Church. And uh, Vijay and I have stayed in touch over all these years. He's like a big brother to me. And now my sister and her husband and their little baby actually come to the well. And so I'm so excited about what's going on. Every family gathering, I get to hear updates of what's happening. And so it's so neat and such a privilege to be here uh, and to share with you today. And today, we're going to be talking about emotions, which I don't know about you, but crisis makes me feel all different kinds of things. I feel lost. I feel hopeless. I feel tired. Maybe you felt that. You wake up and you, you're like, I don't even understand why I'm tired. I'm not even working right now. But you have all different kinds of feelings that come up, and today I can only speak about one of them. So if you have any other questions about any of the emotions you're feeling, you can talk to VJ and he'll happily talk with you about your emotions. But for today, we're going to talk about the feeling that many of you have felt in this season, which is I feel out of control. It feels like everything has changed. All the rules of life, the game of life in a sense, have changed. Your favorite spaces are no longer considered safe. You have no control over where you can and cannot go. You've been separated from loved ones. Some of you growing up in this country, this is the first time the government has actually told you you cannot see your loved ones and you cannot hug and kiss them and you have to stay far apart. You can't read faces. You can't make eye contact in the way that you used to because your mouths are covered. You cannot smile at strangers in the store. There's just anxiety everywhere you go. You have to choose between who's going to go to work and who's going to stay home with the kids. You've lost control over your destiny or what you felt was your destiny. Some of you, you spent years waiting for this moment where your kids would be in school and you can finally do something. You can finally start that career, continue that career, and now you're home again and you feel like you've lost All control. You've lost the ability to gather with your church family and to worship together. You've lost the ability to be surrounded by your loved ones in your times of greatest health crisis or even on your deathbed. To not know what tomorrow holds, to not know what next week holds, next month holds, we've lost control. We feel out of control. And then in the midst of this crisis, and one crisis, it's almost like we've unearthed or uncovered a crisis that's been raging below the surface for so many people for hundreds of years In all the things that are going on with race relations in the midst of it. And you kind of just think like, we are out of control. And maybe you've just felt like, I don't know what to do. I feel totally overwhelmed. That if I can summarize it, it would be simply this. In times of crisis, we become aware that we may be only one breath away from a life-altering or life-ending event that is outside of our control, that crisis reveals to us how powerless we really are. I like Rich Villadas. he says it this way. He says, the COVID crisis didn't take away our, crisis, our control. it took away the illusion that we had that we were ever in control. And as we face a lack of control, often you hear church people or you see them posted on their social media, don't worry. God's in control. Don't worry, God's in control. And for some of you, that was so comforting. And maybe you sang songs along those themes and you just thought, that's right, God's in control. And for others of you, you thought, why is that good news? Why do people keep posting that on social media feeds? Like, how is that good news? Which, if you think about it, like, it is kind of puzzling. I mean, many of us grew up in church, and so that's just the thing that we say, and it's the thing that we sing. But like, just think about people and how they receive that news. It's like, in our world, when you walk into a chaotic situation, and everything's going crazy, and there's, you know, you walk into a store, and things are broken on the ground, and it's messy. The first thing you ask is, Who's in control? Who's the manager? Like, who's in charge of this place? And then you immediately say, they shouldn't be in control because they don't have a clue what they're doing. That in this world that we live in, when something is out of control, we demand to know who's in control and then demand that they get fired. Because we think that if someone's in control, they should have everything in order. So when we tell a world that is suffering in the midst of crisis, don't worry, God's in control, some of them think like, How is that good news? Like, what is God doing? If He's in control, why is there a disease that's out there that could potentially infect 7 billion people that is then killing our most vulnerable? And God's in control? There's a disease that is ravaging the poor in a way that no other has to as they crowd into slums to take care of themselves and the disease just spreads rampantly. And God's in control? Suicide rates in one month have eclipsed what they normally are in a year. And God's in control? People are dying without their loved ones and God is in control. And then we have the, the racism crisis and it's not that it's getting worse. I love what Will Smith said. He's like, it's not getting worse. It's just getting recorded. And you just get your mind around that and you think, all this is happening and my newsfeed is happening and God's in control? Seriously, what's God doing? And now you're heading into summer and it doesn't feel like summer. Now your kids are home. They've been home for longer than what a summer is. And you're thinking, God's in control? What is this? How does this make any sense? And then another line that we throw out all the time, which is simply this. Well, it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of God's plan. To which, again, some of you, that's very comforting. It's like, yeah, that's right. Like, this is part of God's plan. He's going to work it all out. And for others of us, our attempt to comfort them by telling them that this is all part of God's plan confuses people in the midst of their crisis. God's plan? Is, is my life a chess game? Is God just kind of moving the pieces from 30,000 feet and I don't understand what he's doing with this pawn or happy to sacrifice that pawn for a bigger take? Like, what's God doing? Like, my child is suffering or my child is dead. That part of God's plan? Is he just a pawn to be sacrificed? My dad ravaged by cancer, was that part of God's plan? Was George Floyd just sacrificed to wake up a culture and it was just a move that God needed to make because it was all part of his plan to awaken people? The atrocities that we see in the news, is that part of God's plan? And maybe you actually wondered these things. Maybe you even asked questions. Maybe you wrestled with them and maybe someone told you like, well, just don't question God. Don't ask questions. His ways are higher than our ways. And you can never quite understand what God is up to, so don't even try and understand it. And maybe that was the place where you tapped out on faith because you just couldn't make sense of it. You couldn't get your head around it. It didn't make sense to you. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this idea of is God actually in control? And if he is, what does that mean? Is COVID-19 and the crises that we see all around us, is that just part of God's plan? Is he doing something in the midst of it? And those are, those are great questions. If you're not a church person, not a Christian, and you're just tuning in and you've been wrestling with those, can I just say, we're going to answer a bit of that, but we're going to kind of skim across the surface. And so I would just encourage you, you found an incredible faith community. Keep tuning in every week. They're constantly talking about these kind of issues and wrestling through them to make sense of it. But here's a question. As we start off, where did the narrative that God's in control and it's all part of his plan come from? As I was learning how to read the Bible, I remember one of the first lessons I learned was recognize the bias that you bring when you look at the scriptures. And if I'm honest, when I look at my bias and maybe every human being that I've ever met's bias, is that we love control. If you question that, just look at any toddler who's been told no for the first time, they freak out. We love control. Think of the first time your uncle took you out to teach you how to drive, and as you made that first turn, and he began to kick the floor looking for the imaginary brake pedal in the passenger seat. We love control. We're addicted to control. And yet, in the midst of crisis, we become aware that we are not in control. And so, as you've maybe discovered, I have too. The next best thing to being in control is being friends with the person who's in control. And when I think about those things, is it any surprise that we've come up with a theology that says, don't worry, everything that's going on in the world, it's all part of God's plan. God's in control. He's got it. And then we add extra theologies that tell us how we can influence God. I call it cause and effect theology. It goes like this. If you do, then God will. And if you don't, then God won't. You've heard it before. We all have. Because we all love to be in control. And if we can't be in control, we want a God who's moving all the pieces in ways to influence him as well. All throughout history, human beings have gravitated towards control and a way to influence the things that are going on around them. John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus actually has an encounter with disciples who seem to have this kind of mentality, and it gives us a glimpse of how Jesus feels about this. This is what happens. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, "'Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents?' that he was born blind. It's like, obviously, somebody screwed up and they're paying for what they did. It's cause and effect faith. So Jesus like, who did it? Whose fault is it? And this is Jesus' response. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Like, throw that theology out. It's not the way it happened. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus clarifies, just because something's broken, it doesn't mean that God broke it. Jesus clarifies, just because something's broken, it doesn't mean God broke it, but it does present an opportunity for God to intervene and to bring healing into that situation. Jesus is saying to his disciples very clearly, God didn't do this. God isn't doing this to teach him a lesson. Blindness is not part of God's plan, but God does plan to heal this man. This is significant. Because many people that I've talked to as a pastor, they're asking questions, they're like, well, isn't, isn't COVID-19 part of God's plan? Wasn't it sent to us you know, as judgment? Aren't we supposed to learn a lesson? Isn't he teaching us something? Isn't this all part of God's plan? Didn't he cook this up? Like, shouldn't we take note of this? And often when I'm talking to people who are asking these questions, they have some sort of verse that backs up their theory. Can I go on a tangent for a second? All bad theology always has a verse all bad theology, every cult that's ever been started always has a verse to go alongside of it. You can take any verse and put it in any place and take it out of context and make it say what you want it to say. But today I want to give us some some guidelines as to how we find out what's really going on. When trying to make sense of crisis, whether COVID-19 or any other, don't just take a verse off social media that has a pretty background that you can print off Etsy for $7. Look into a little bit more than that, and I suggest starting with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 has one of my favorite verses. It just simplifies and distills everything you need to know. He says this, speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. What's the author saying? Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. I like what one author summarized this to say, and I don't remember which author. I tried to find it. So someone really smart, not me. Anything that you do not find in the person of Jesus, you have grounds to question. Anything that you do not find in the person of Jesus, you have grounds to question. We always start with Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. So if someone's like, this is what God is like, and you're like, I, that, that seems like the exact opposite of Jesus. You have grounds to question that. Even if they have a verse for it, it's like, oh yeah, but it says this, have you read? This? It's like, okay, but maybe that's out of context because that seems to be the exact opposite of what Jesus is like. As you're wrestling with the questions of is COVID sent by God, is it a lesson for us to learn? Is it his judgment? Here's some questions that I want you to ask. When you look at Jesus, and if you've never explored the life of Jesus, there's four stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're recorded in the Bible and you can read them and they're the life story of Jesus recorded for us to explore. As you read those stories, here's some questions I want you to ask. How many people did Jesus give sickness to? in all the stories that you've ever read of Jesus, how many people received a sickness from Jesus? Zero. How many storms did Jesus bless? Zero. How many storms did Jesus redirect? Right? Like, no, 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 not this village. They've already learned that lesson. That village over there, they're the stubborn ones. They're the ones that need to learn the lesson. Go over there. I bless you to go that way. Like, zero. Jesus never does that. Jesus rebukes the storm. Jesus heals sickness. He never gives people sickness, ever. And Jesus is the perfect representation of what God is like. Jesus came to eradicate disease, decay, dysfunction, and death. And you will find no instance of him giving any sickness to anyone at any time, period. And there's more. When Jesus taught people how to pray, maybe you remember this verse. Look what he says. This is what you pray. Your kingdom come, speaking to God, your kingdom, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you a question. If God's in control and everything that happens is part of God's plan, why is he inviting us to partner with him and pray that his will be done? It must be that there are things that are going on right now in the world that are not part of God's will. Otherwise, it's some really twisted thing that I do with my children, which is this. You ever had this moment? Maybe not. Maybe I'm just the only parent that does this. But sometimes I'm like trying to do something productive with children. I have a three and a five-year-old, which is pretty much impossible. But sometimes like I'm mopping the floor, and my kids, the moment they see the mop, like we talk about like don't get the mop out, right? But like I get the mop out, a little spray mop, and immediately like, Can we help? We want to help clean. And so I do this horrible thing. Don't judge me, but this is a safe space. The well is a safe space. But I I literally, are like, hey, what's that over there? And then I grab some Cheerios and I throw them in the opposite side of the room, and I'm like, You want to help me? clean? Can you go get your little dustpan and clean up those Cheerios? And while they clean the Cheerios, I end up with a streak-free floor. It works every time. Do you think that's what God is like? No. He's a much better parent than I am. He's not up there thinking, listen, I already have everything going on. Everything that's happening is my will, but they want to be a part of this. We'll tell them to pray that my will be done. Keep them occupied, and then I'll just keep doing what I want to do. No. Jesus invites us to pray that his will be done because he wants to partner with us in redeeming the world around us. There are things that are happening in the world that are not part of God's will. That's why he came to redeem it. So Mark, if God doesn't send sickness, decay, and death, is he in control? Well, it's interesting. The early Jesus followers didn't use God in control language. They used redemption language. Let me give you one example, and we could spend a whole hour on this text and this verse specifically, but let me just pull it out. Romans 8, 28, this is Paul preaching from prison or writing a letter from prison. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Paul is saying God can bring good out of any and all bad. But let me be clear, there is a difference between God orchestrating chaos to bring about an end and God stepping into the chaos and redeeming it. And we believe the latter. Now, some of you, when I say that, you get concerned, right? You're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Mark, you saying that God doesn't create chaos, you don't know my story. Listen, I get that, okay? I think back a few years ago, I had a two-year-old at home and a wife that was seven months pregnant, and I had a mental breakdown, and I was curled up in the fetal position, shaking and weeping uncontrollably. It was the worst time of my life. It was such a painful, chaotic season, and I look back on that season, as some of you do with extreme pain, extreme heartache, when you lost someone you loved, and you think, Wow, God met me in that time, and we assume because God redeemed it so fully that he must have caused it. But there's a difference between God entering the chaos and redeeming it and causing it. God is not the author of chaos, but he redeems it so fully, sometimes we wonder if he is. So then, where does it come from? Where does all the chaos come from? Is it the devil? Is God losing? Is God not in control? Is he overpowered? Listen, I'm not saying that God isn't all powerful, but language is so important. Let me give you this example. If you think about the military, you think about the commander, he's the most powerful person in the military. He has all the authority, all the power, and yet each individual soldier has control over their own weapon. That to simply say they have everything and nobody else has anything, it's like you don't understand what's actually going on here. It's a bit more complex And so the danger when Christians just throw their hands up and say, well, God's in control, so whatever's happening, it's all part of his plan, so let's just wait for it to all happen, is that many of the crisis moments that we see in our world are actually at the hands of the evil in our hearts that Jesus actually came to heal. And so when we just label evil and chaos and brokenness as part of God's plan, we oversimplify and we miss out on the opportunities that maybe God's actually inviting us into to help redeem it. The ancient Christians didn't oversimplify this. They had at least three ways that they would describe what was going on in the world. They talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let me walk you through those really quickly. The world, that when we broke relationship with God, something in the world broke. Sickness and death entered it. And to be honest, I don't quite understand it all I know is when the world is fully redeemed, you look to the book of Revelation, and we get all that metaphorical imagery of what it's like. Sickness and death and decay are fully gone. When creation is fully restored, those things are gone. We live in a broken world. Number two, the flesh. We are part of the problem. We have free will. We can choose, and you'll see this story all throughout Scripture. Humans are always given the choice to partner with God or not partner with God and go their own way. Genesis 50 is the perfect example. We see Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, and in the end, it all works out. God redeems the story, and Joseph says this. He says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. It doesn't say God sold him into slavery. His brothers did that. God stepped into it and redeemed that brokenness. And then the third thing, so the world, the flesh, and the devil. The reality is, is there's an enemy. There's a war going on, and wars aren't fair. Let's avoid oversimplifying what's going on in the world right now. How did we end up with COVID-19 and the crises that go all around us? I have no idea, but I know that our God does not create disease, decay, destruction, and death. God wrote himself into human history to end those things. It can't be both. I think about this verse that I've come back to many times when Jesus is instructing his disciples how they engage with the world. And this is what he says. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. He doesn't say, and by the way, if you run out of sick people to heal, don't worry. I'll just make a few more sick. You'll never run out. You'll never, no, he doesn't say that. Why? Because God, Jesus can't make people sick and ask that they be healed at the same time. That's a kingdom divided against himself. And Jesus once spoke about that. He said, even the demons aren't dumb enough to be divided. That just doesn't make any sense. Jesus cannot make people sick and then invite us to heal them at the same time. It's a divided kingdom. It cannot be both. And today I just need to declare to you that Jesus doesn't bring sickness, he heals it. And that's great news. It means that your life and my life is not part of some cosmic chess game that we just don't understand. That that's actually an ancient view of how things work, that the gods are just at work going on. But that is not the Christian view. That is not what we discover in the person of Jesus. That we are not some chess game. That the way I summarize this is that your pain is not a pawn. Your pain is not a pawn in some cosmic chess game. Your cancer, your grief, your friend's untimely death was not some pawn in some bigger take. And I'm convinced that many people left the faith unnecessarily because they assumed that God used them for some bigger thing because some Christians told them what God was doing. that He was just using this to get somewhere else. Jesus never used anybody. We believe in a God who enters the chaos and brings life. Now, you probably have a whole bunch of other questions. When I preached this, I actually did this in two weeks and then a roundtable podcast afterwards to deal with all the different questions that came out of it. So you can reach me if you have any questions. It's vj.krishnan at thewell.ca. Send me any of your questions, but um, let me just answer this question. This is the one I get the most, which is, but Mark, if he's a storm calmer and if he heals sickness, why doesn't Jesus calm every storm? That's a fantastic question. Here's a, a simple answer, and I'm telling you, we could dig into this a lot more. When Jesus gives his like manifesto, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this incredible description of what it's like to follow Jesus. You should read it if you've never done it before. It's fantastic. And at the end of it, he tells a story about a storm. And he doesn't say, now listen, listen, listen. If you follow me and you do all these things, you'll never face a storm. You'll never get sick. It's like a jet, get out of jail free card. He's like, no, no, no. If you apply these things to your life, you will know how to weather the storm. That Jesus didn't come just to pull us out, but he invites us to journey through the storm with him. He wants to redeem the world. and He invites us to do that with him. God enters the storm, but he doesn't, creates them. So when people say, is God in control? You of say, mm, kinda. Depends on what you mean. If you mean he's some sort of puppet master that's pulling all the strings, you misunderstand the narrative of Scripture and how God loves to partner with his children, that it's so much more complex than that. If you mean that he is all-powerful and he will redeem everything, then absolutely, God is in control. So let me just give you some practical things that you can do as you chat with people who are wondering if God's in control and if this is all part of his plan and are we supposed to be learning something from all the crises that we see around us. Number one, do sit with people in the midst of their pain and feel the emotions that they're feeling as they wrestle with feeling out of control. Wow, this is so hard. Acknowledge the sense of loss of control. Let it grieve you. Jesus grieved. He grieved over cities. Jesus wept over people who died that he was about to raise from the dead. Enter into people's pain with them. Do grieve when they lose, feel they've lost control. Number two, do not tell people that the atrocities that they face are just part of God's plan because everything happens for a reason. You're, you're dismissing the complexity of what's going on in the world. I love what Kate Bowler says. She says, the only thing worse than telling people this is all part of God's plan is then declaring to them that you know what it is exactly. Oh, I know that your child died, but this was the only way that God could get your uncle to come back to church for the funeral. No, don't do that. Go back to step one and sit silently in the pain with people. Job's friends made the mistake when they opened their mouths and began to try and predict what God was up to. Grieve with people who grieve. Often when we get simple trite answers to deep, heartfelt questions. We're really just trying to comfort ourselves in the midst of the person that we're with's pain. Don't do that. And lastly, do pray big, bold prayers because we have a storm-calming God. But don't just pray for God to do something. Invite the Spirit of God to actually lead and guide you to see how you may be part of calming the storm as well. As we wrap up today, let me just speak quickly to those of you who maybe have tuned in. Maybe you've been in for a week or a month or this whole crisis. You've just kind of been you know, tuning in online, asking questions, wrestling with faith, not sure what you believe. And let me just say this. We started off by simply saying that we want ultimate control over our lives. In fact, some of you, maybe you want nothing to do with God because you're convinced that he wants some control in your life and you don't want to give it to him. Others of you have discounted faith entirely because God doesn't, you don't understand why God doesn't step into your life and do something about all the chaos and crisis and pain. But what you learn when you look at the narrative of scripture and the life of Jesus, that it's not about us being in ultimate control and it's not about God being in ultimate control. That would just make us puppets. The truth is that God wants in our life to do life with us. So much so that he sent his son to come to earth to show us that love, and to give the greatest sacrifice, one life for another, to show the depths of his love and forgiveness and radical love. There's no better time to begin to explore that relationship as you're wrestling with the different feelings and emotions in these seasons. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the life of Jesus by taking part in a meal. And so uh, in your house, if you could just scrounge together the closest thing that you have to bread or crackers and the closest liquid that you have uh, to wine. And as you gather that together, we're actually going to take some time and declare the God that we serve as a good, good Father.